supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And we have a lot of stuff to cover today. So um, we're just going to get started real quick uh, because I'm not going to be able to get through the, all the stuff I have for you today. Um, fortunately, I'm sure it's going to happen. But let's just see what what we can cover today as much as we can. Uh, there's a couple of big issues, you know, with the Bidens over in Ireland. Uh, it's uh, disturbing that we have this Pentagon leak. They found out who the leaker was. You know, it's this uh, young buck, this um, this young kid that basically um, uh, was in some chat rooms and uh, got access to the data because uh, maybe their parents... Uh, we're working at the Pentagon, but it was a minor that actually was releasing documents and uh, seeking approval, you know, trying to be the smartest person in the room with documents that nobody else had because they were class- classified. And it took the Washington Post and the New York Times to figure this out because our own intelligence services aren't capable uh, because we have these government workers that are woke or they're uh they got their job through some quota based system and they're not really smart enough to figure this stuff out and so you got uh some journalists that are willing to go to bat for the government to figure this out i guess that's it you know but they're not willing to actually go to the bat for donald trump but when it comes time to get something serious done they they don't mess around now, they, they couldn't figure out who was that leaked the uh, the Hobbs uh, decision in the Supreme Court. They couldn't figure out who the leaker was there. That was easy peasy. But they could figure out what's going on with the Pentagon. That's, that's something, you know, that would be helpful. So Chinese media published new footage of documents from the Pentagon leak. <laughs> Among them are the following. The situation in uh, Bakhmut at the end of February is called catastrophic. Zelensky wanted to bomb Rostov, 
But Zelensky, uh, Zaluska, uh, was against it on attacking an unspecified Russian base in Rostov in late February. The Russian army is taking steps to combat Ukrainian-made Western-made main battle tanks that will appear on the battlefield in April. And just by looking at the map, uh, we could see that the that one of the maps that was released, Western Intel, is lacking in detail where OSINT has proven more informative. We found out that Russia was able to jam our signals. Um, there was a lot of things we found out that don't make us very comfortable uh, with what we're, we're learning about all this stuff that we're more inept and more disgraced than uh, one's first thought. Um, also, just just a, an aside, a couple of other things we're going to cover today. Um, real quick, uh, Bill Malusian from Fox News just put out uh, a video from Fox News photographer uh, shows that part of a group of 700-plus migrants that crossed illegally into El Paso just yesterday so, so while all these other distractions are going on, right, this leak, uh, all these other things, you got to wonder how long they knew about these things and, and they're just releasing them as news stories so that we could just like sort of like pile on and cover these stories and talk about how inept Joe Biden is while he's, you know, over in Ireland hatching some new deal and pushing uh, meanwhile, and pushing the electric uh, vehicle mandates and emissions, the strongest emissions mandates ever recorded in history, he's unleashing. I don't know if it's through an executive order because I can't imagine it getting passed through Congress. So it's an executive order of some sort. Meanwhile, you have this ex-White House stenographer that's making news saying this is a crime, the FBI is supposed to investigate, Biden is lying, Biden is a criminal, and I've got the evidence, he says. This is Michael McCormick. If they put me in front of a grand jury, my testimony becomes the evidence that would put him in jail or lead to his impeachment. So this is this guy, and we're going to play a clip from him as well. So we have a lot of things going on, like Dianne Feinstein is incapable of doing her job. And there's a lot of um, things at, at stake there. Ro Khanna, for example, uh, has endorsed this woman named Barbara Lee. Barbara Lee happens to be a black woman that could replace Feinstein, right, as a senator. And what's interesting about that is Adam Schiff is the number one guy in line for the throne, right? So Adam Schiff, you know, has a lot of muscle, a lot of pull, real snake guy, you know. He'll stab you in the back. He'll do anything it takes for power, right, because he hates America. And he'll do anything to take America down. Adam Schiff lies to the American people all of the time. And so we got this situation where, again, you know, someone who's like approaching 90 is still senator, you know, these people will not give up their power until their last breath. So Diane Feinstein's no different. Radical libtard that she is, is now having to give it up. She's got shingles or something like that. And in any case, there she is, 
finally having to step aside and at least temporarily somebody's going to have to fill their shoes. So it's going to be so who gets to decide that? Gavin Newsom gets to decide to decide that, right? So Gavin Newsom's going to decide it and he promised, guess what he promised? Guess what Bar, guess what he promised? He promised a black woman. <laughs> the Democrats, man, they're all about quotas, aren't they? They're all about Supreme Court justice. Yeah, we don't want justice. We want a black woman. So in comes, you know, Brown Jackson. Jackson, yeah, Brown Jackson. Katanji Brown Jackson. KBJ. So there it is, you know. Never mind their qualifications. It's got to be skin color and gender. And getting to that, uh, that brings me to the next topic I wanted to talk about is the Mul- uh, Dylan Mulvaney can. I thought that uh, Tyrus uh, from The Five and Tyrus from Gutfield, uh, Gutfeld, Tyrus gave some really great examples. And he, he really made a great point. He's the big wrestler that wears the belt on his shoulder when he's uh, on Fox News talking. The big guy. Well, he made a statement that I thought was really brilliant. He said that basically uh, he's he's um, masquer- you know, Mil- Dylan Mulvaney is basically creating a caricature of women, basically almost making fun of women. And the reason why it is that Bud Light has lost $5 billion in market value in the last two weeks since this happened because some libtard, they say she's from Harvard, but I saw another document that said she's from Penn. This this marketing branding expert from one of these Ivy League schools uh, had the notion, a real wackadoodle, right? A real flaky, whack job of a libtard. And basically they um, came out and they said uh, that, that uh, we need to expand our market share. <laughs> Which is, you know, just, it's not, it ain't broke, don't fix it. If you want to really do something, make a better beer. Stop putting so much rice in your beer, Bud Light and uh, Budweiser. They put more rice in their beer than barley. I was in a Coors plant, uh, took a plant to Golden, Colorado, and a friend of mine, this was over 20 years ago, told me about this. And he says, they put rice in there. I said, they do? Rice in the beer? Yeah, it's like filler. It's sort of like putting breadcrumbs in your tuna fish salad. You know, it it's cheaper than tuna, right? So a lot of a lot of markets will fill their tuna fish salad with breadcrumbs, right? You know, and it's not as it's cheaper for them. It's like a watered down version. Some people will put some water in the bottle of vodka, and you'll never know, right? And they're selling you a half a shot rather than a whole shot. But whatever. So the thing is, is that they put a lot of rice in their beer, and it's that's why it tastes like crap. American beer is awful. Those craft beers, though, I love uh, American craft beers. So you know, I like uh, I tend to like darker beers, you know, with a lot of character and stuff. Ales, I'm a big ale guy. So in any case, that's what I like. But you know, I mean. The thing is, is that they uh, put a lot of rice. They, they need to make a better beer is what they could do. But instead, they want to put Dylan Mulvaney's face on the can. And this is a guy that 
for after about 200 days of uh, dressing up like a girl, um, he gets an interview with the president. And I want to know who hired him. Because this didn't just happen by circumstance or happenstance. This was not coincidence. Okay? Dylan Mulvaney was an operative plant. That's what I'm saying. Oh, that's what that's where it goes. See, he was hired. And you know how he got paid off? You want to know? The same way Colin Kaepernick got paid off. That's right. I said it. So Colin Kaepernick takes a knee, disrespects the flag, disrespects the morale of our country, disrespects all patriots, divides our country, divides blacks, divides the black community between conservatives and liberals, and all the liberals endorse him, Kaepernick, and all the conservative black people rejected him. And the Democrats thought, oh, great, we polarized the black voters and energized the base because black people tend to lean liberal by about 70 to 30 percent at at the very minimum. So they looked at that as a no-lose situation. That's what Black Lives Matter was all about. It was about dividing the black people from their political ideology. And that was the problem, is because the conservatives, if the conservatives started talking to the liberals in the black community, black liberals would be like, huh. And in the age of social media and in the age of where people are outing themselves with what their tastes are on Facebook and Twitter, people start to like open their eyes to a new idea, right? And so it's one of these things where it's sort of like multi-level marketing. Again, another example where a politician may not be able to get through to a liberal black voter, but a conservative black friend might be able to persuade a liberal black friend into being a conservative. See, so it's it's grassroots. It's it's in within the community. So what better way to get them to stop doing that than to divide them? And that's exactly what the Black Lives Matter was all about. That's exactly what Colin Kaepernick was all about. It was about deuniting, ununiting, separating, dividing the black community between liberals who are become more militant and segregationists and uh, with grievances and and they were sold a bill of goods with the dangling carrots of reparations. And that's really what that was all about. I'll give you money if you just keep on keeping on. Help me rig this election, SEIU and the teachers unions. Help me rig these elections. And we'll give you power. We'll give you money. We'll give you everything you want. Just don't go conservative. And the reason why that became a really important thing is because Obama was failing. Uh, People thought Obama turned their back on the black community, number one. Number two, Trump comes along and says, what the hell do you have to lose? 
and did more for the black community than any other president in the history of America with HBCUs, with uh, opportunity zones, with black unemployment at the at the at the best. It was the best black employment, black labor participation rate. And he did it with gender. He did it with blacks. He did it with Hispanics. He did it with everybody because it's not hard to succeed in America if you do the right things. And so, yeah, of course, that's why it all happened. And the the Dylan Mulvaney thing, so Dylan Mulvaney, again, it was hired by the uh, by the liberals to do to push trans to uh, attack Christianity, and how he got paid off is with a Bud Light contract. See, Kaepernick got the Nike contract. Do you recall? Think about it. That's how they're getting paid. Do you think that they're just going to write a check from the government? To Dylan Mulvaney or to Colin Kaepernick? No, this is how they're doing it. Now, they were trying the same playbook with Jesse Smollett, but he was just plain stupid. And Jesse Smollett couldn't do it. You know, he just messed up. So, but again, everywhere you turn, it's sort of like you're a homophobe, you're a racist, you're uh, whatever. Our founding fathers, you know, uh, Colin Kaepernick led to cancel culture. It led to the 1619 Project. It led to um, uh, CRT, or critical race theory, right? It led to a whole bunch of things. They milked that for all it's worth. And they bought million-dollar homes in Malibu. And they lit the, the $83 billion later, nobody knows where the money went. And, you know, I'm telling you, this is all a domestic psyop. Democrats, I don't know how they get away with it. I think it's in part because their constituent base, their their, their voter base, their voter block is just so ignorant and ill-informed. I think that they have like a third eye or something. They're weird. Because they buy this BS. They just buy it, hook, line, and sinker. And you tell them the truth. Hey, here's the truth. And they don't know. It's like, hey, you're being a hypocrite. No, they have no clue. They don't have a clue. They really don't. Meanwhile, they're getting away with all kinds of money laundering and funneling. They're getting their money through FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. They're getting their money through Pfizer and NIH. They're getting their money through... And, 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 you know, like I said, the Planned Parenthood would get both the conservative tax dollars and the liberal tax dollars, then they would turn around and only donate to the liberals, to the campaigns. CDC does the same thing. You know, they did it with Planned Parenthood. I can't name one Republican program where the liberals are also paying into it. But I can name hundreds of liberal programs where they're also getting money out of the conservatives' pocket. Like, here's one right here. This is uh, Ram Paul talking to the COVID guy, uh, the Pfizer guy, or uh, Moderna. This is Moderna, actually. But let's take a listen to this. I recently paid NIH $400 million 
Do you believe it creates a conflict of interest for the government employees who are making money now off of the vaccine to also be dictating the policy about how many times we have to take the vaccine? Good morning, Senator. Uh, indeed, we recently made, a, before Christmas last year, a $400 million payment to the NIH for uh, an old patent that they had developed, not related to COVID, but useful in the development of a COVID vaccine. Uh, $400 million for a patent and to, to protect the patent, and Fauci did it. He only went with patents. He didn't go with out-of-patent uh, technology like ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. No money to be made there. Incidentally, you know, India is known for all of its pharmaceutical, cheap pharmaceutical drugs that they produced. And just so, for those people, the, another big issue that's going on today is uh, people working from home, especially in the government. And I only say this, that uh, it was brought up to my attention. I thought it was a great point. It, once you start getting into this slippery slope of working from home, guess what? You don't even have to hire cheaper labor from Kansas. You can hire people from India willing to work office jobs and do programming and all kinds of stuff for $20 a day. So be careful what you wish for. These the college graduates uh, that have already been, you know, uh, where we've already, America's already lost all of its manufacturing to China. So we already did that through the in, the in the name of climate. Climate equals slave labor. Climate hoax, the climate initiative, the climate hoax, the Paris Agreement. It's it sounds all fancy, but really what it's about is corporations paying politicians to mandate and restrict, regulate and prevent western manufacturing because it's too expensive. And advance, aggressively advance the manufacturing out of China using the Belt Belt and Road Initiative. And what that does is that creates like, you know, instead of someone getting $20 an hour, they're paying $20 a day. And it could be a 12-year-old and it's 1.5 billion people that they could to choose from. It's a better employee, uh, it's a better hired job market for the employer than it is in the West where the unemployments are low. So here we got this situation where, you know, they're just pushing this stuff away. So manufacturing has gone to China. And guess what? This remote working is going to go to India and Uruguay and other other states, uh, other countries, you know, because... Uh, and and, and there, you're going to see that this is never going to go away. And perhaps that was another factor for COVID. Maybe that was another way. You know, election fraud was definitely one part of COVID. But maybe it was cheaper labor, uh, remote learning. You know, and, and not only that, when you look at the automotive industry, right, Especially now, it's kind of interesting because they're pushing electric vehicles and we don't have an electric grid to support electric vehicles, but they're banning carbon uh, combustible engines by 2032 now. So the pro- they're looking at this as like, okay, for climate, people aren't driving as much. 
So it's kind of an interesting thing. You're going to see cities and you're going to see environments. Like already when you start to look for a home, uh, one of the chief things that you see now that you never used to see before is the walkability index. Because people don't have cars as much as they used to. And Uber and Lyft supply them, you know. But yeah, there it is. $400 million to Fauci there, you know, NIH. And there's that. You got the attack on religion because we can't have religion. So here's here's a um, an interview where the FBI was talking about churches and religion under attack by the FBI. Well, the original uh, whistleblower disclosure that Kyle Serafin came out with was this intelligence report from the Richmond Division that was about, quote unquote, radical traditional Catholics who might be prone to become uh, radical extremists because they held these very problematic uh, views about traditional marriage and pro-life and pro-border security. And the FBI said, look, it's a low-level employee, low-level analyst. If this didn't meet our exacting standards. We've corrected the problem. Well, now it's come to find out that they lied about that, and they're willing to really go down to the, some pretty deep depths of deception. And they were actually tasking there. There was an operation in place where they assigned an undercover agent to infiltrate these Catholic parishes to perform what is called a type five assessment, which is them assessing whether or not anybody there could be recruited to be in a paid or maybe a voluntary informant on the FBI's behalf to inform on any radicalization that might be going on. So essentially asking people to inform on their fellow parishioners because they might hold beliefs that the government deems to be problematic and radical, and those being pro-life, pro-marriage, pro-border security, which are uh, legitimate beliefs that uh, large swaths of the country holds. But now that the FBI is deeming these to be problematic, I think it uh, spells uh, some, some problems for a lot of people around the country. Did they ever do this sort of infiltration or uh, looking for informants when it came to child molestation accusations inside of the Catholic Church? Or did that just get, oh, yeah, no, we'll just uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll investigate those as, as, as people come forward saying that they've been molested? I mean, it's like, what, where are the priorities with this? Well, certainly they're now focused uh, a lot of resources on domestic terrorism, as they call it. Uh, and uh, if you look at the, the top four priorities that the National Security Branch listed, uh, two of them are uh, radical ext- anti-government extremism and radical ethnic extremism, uh, specifically white supremacy. Well, the president of the United States called uh, anybody who voted Republican a white supremacist and uh, a anti-government extremist. Right. So now the gun- guns have been turned around on about half the country who dev- decided to pull the lever for a GOP nominee for office. Uh, and it, it's just a further indication that the FBI has become this political weaponized arm of the administration now and is no longer doing the work of all the American people. It's just doing the, the, uh, the call from, from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Being FBI informants. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty scary stuff, right? That's the banana republic that we're living in and faced with. Um, so I want, I have a couple of other things. I wanted to play this as a fun clip. Um, this is uh, a, an exchange between Elon Musk and a BBC reporter. Let's take a listen to this. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, would, I would only just add that, you know, we have spoken to people who, who have been sacked that used to be in content moderation. And, and we've spoken to people very recently who were involved in moderation. And they just say they just, there's not enough people to police this stuff, particularly around, um, particularly around hate speech. Um, in the company. 
Is that what hate speech are you talking about? I mean, you use Twitter, right? Do you see a rise in hate speech? I mean, I, I, just a personal anecdote. Like, what do, do you? I don't. Personally, my uh, for you, I would see I get I get more of that kind of content. Yeah, personally, but I, I'm not going to talk to talk to the rest of for, for the rest of Twitter. So you see more hate speech personally. I would say I would see more hateful content in that. In that content you don't like or or hateful. What do you mean to describe a hateful thing? Yeah, I mean you know just content that will solicit a, a reaction, something that may include something that is slightly racist or slightly sexist. Those kinds of those kinds of things. So you think if I'm, something is slightly sexist, it should be banned? I, no, is that I'm what not, you're saying? I'm not saying anything. I'm saying. Well, I'm just curious. What you, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you mean by hateful con content. And I'm asking for specific examples, um, and if. And you just said that if something is slightly sexist, that's hateful content. Does that mean that it should be banned? Well, you've asked me. You've asked me whether my feed, whether it's got less or more. It, I'd say it's got slightly more. That's why I'm asking for examples. Can, right. you, can you name one example? I, I honestly don't. Use, I, I, honestly, I you don't, can't name I, a single example. I'll tell you why. Because I don't actually use that for you feed anymore. Because I, I just don't particularly like it. But you said actually, a lot of people. A lot of people are quite similar. I, I, I only. Well, I only look well, at hang my, on a second. My you said you've seen more hateful content, but you can't name a single example. Not even one. I'm not sure I've used that feed for the last three or four weeks. And I. Well, I, then I how did you see that hateful content? content? Because I've been I've been using I've been using Twitter since you've taken it over for the last six months. Okay, so then you must have at some point seen the you for you hateful content. I'm asking for one example. Right, and and you I, can't I, give us a single I, one. And, and, and I'm saying I've, I, I, then I, I say so that you don't know what you're talking about. Really? Yes, because you can't give me a single example of hateful con content, not even one tweet, and yet you claimed that the hateful content was high. Well, that's a false. No, what I claimed, you just lied. What no no what I claim was. Uh, there are many uh, organizations that say that that kind of information is on the rise. Now, whether whether it has on my feed one or example. not, I mean, I, right? And Literally, if you, you look at something one. like the, the uh, Strategic Dialogue uh, Institute in the, U in the UK, they will say that. So, you, they, look, people will say all sorts of nonsense. I'm literally asking for a right. single example, and you can't name one. Right. And as, as I already said, I don't use that feed. But let's, well, then how let, would you know? Then, that I don't you, think this is getting anywhere. You literally said you experienced more hateful content. And then couldn't name a single example. Right, and as I said, I that's absurd. I haven't, I haven't actually looked at that feed. Then how would you know this hateful content? Because I'm saying that's what I saw a few weeks ago. I can't give you an exact example. Let's move on. We have, we only have a certain amount of time. Um, well, wow. COVID misinformation. You amazing. You changed the COVID misinformation. Has rules. BBC changed its COVID misinformation? The BBC does not set the rules on Twitter, so I'm asking you. No, I'm talking about the BBC's misinformation about COVID. I'm, I'm, I'm literally Has asking you about, you changed the labels, the COVID misinformation labels. There used to be a policy, and then it then disappeared. Why, why do that? Well, COVID is no longer an issue. Does the BBC hold itself at all responsible for misinformation regarding masking and side effects of vaccinations? And not reporting on that at all. And what about the fact that the BBC was put under pressure by the British government to change its editorial policy? Are you aware of that? 
this is a, this is not an interview about the BBC. Oh, so. you thought it wasn't? <laughs> and this, I see now why you've done Twitter Spaces. I am not a representative of the BBC's editorial policy. I want to make that clear. Let's talk about something else. You want I'm to talk about the BBC? You too. All right, let's 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 talk about let's talk about something else. You weren't expecting that. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> I, I I thought that exchange was brilliant, and uh, you know, it just there's a BBC reporter there who's advocating for more censorship. How in the world does that square? There's a journalist there that's actually saying, you remove some of the COVID uh, warnings and labels and censorship. And, uh, you know, why did you do that? We need that. We need that protection to, to uh, advance a false narrative, right? I mean, it's, it's just absolutely stunning. And then meanwhile, we're talking about all this stuff. Florida State professor Eric Stewart abruptly, he's a black guy, abruptly left his $190,000 a year role after being accused of faking data since 2006 to make racism seem more common than it is and having six of his research papers retracted. In 2020, a committee reconvened its inquiry. So that's according to the Daily Mail, but it's been reported widely. It's crazy. These people just don't want to ever tell the truth. Um, here's another great example. This is Will Kane. Will Kane. Now listen to this. This is just incredible. The liberals. Uh, basically, there's this guy named Justin Pearson, who was the guy with the big afro that was acting, talking like Martin Luther King in the Tennessee uh, government. Well, here he is. Let's take a listen to Will Kane, and we'll take a listen to this example of a basically a guy that's just faking his whole entire career. I want you to listen, if you will, to Justin Pearson in 2016. Let's take a quick listen to him and the way he presents his ideas. Justin J. Pearson, and I'm running for president of BSG. There are a few reasons that we're running this campaign this year. One has to do with representation. How can we represent all voices in a conversation? There's Justin Pearson in 2016. Now you say, I'm not familiar with Justin Pearson. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with that voice. You'd be forgiven. Justin Pearson is one of the dubbed Tennessee Three by CNN, MSNBC, Vice President Kamala Harris. Those voted out of office for leading a riot on the floor of the Tennessee chamber with bullhorns, breaking protocol and decorum, and getting voted out as a Tennessee representative. Pearson has since been voted back in. But I want you to listen to Justin Pearson in 2023. Remember the sound of him in 2016. I want you to listen to him in 2023 during that riot during those speeches i want you to listen to him his hair grown out tell me you don't hear b-side knock off kirkland brand martin luther king jr seemed like the nra and gun lobbyists might win but oh that was good news for us i don't know how long this saturday in the state of tennessee might last but oh, we have good news, folks. Is that the same dude? That's the boat in Justin Pearson? What is he doing? 
That, my friends, is kayfabe. That is an act. He's doing an impression of Martin Luther King Jr. He's doing an accent he didn't have. He's giving you a cadence, a style of speaking that is not his. He cribbed it. He ripped it. He sampled it. It's fake. It's not just Justin Pearson. Of course, you know Hillary Clinton did this every time she visited a black audience. I don't feel no ways tired. I come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me that the road would be easy. Oh my gosh. Where'd you get that accent? How about AOC? Want to hear AOC doing it? I'm proud to be a bartender. Ain't nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working retail, folding clothes for other people to buy. And oh, don't get me wrong. There's many uh, subjects in which we could call Republicans to task for their inauthenticity. But I don't think we can accuse Republicans of doing this. Faking an accent. Pandering. Kayfabe. What's real? That's great. You know, I I love that piece. Um, Tucker (laughs) totally ripped off Will Kane yesterday because Tucker covered that yesterday and added a few other clips of his own that uh, where you got Ocasio Cortez acting like a Latino, um, which was kind of funny as well. So she could she could do she's multilingual, and then you got Kamala Harris speaking French, but. With English words, with a French accent, it's so stupid. Um, You know, uh, Don Lemon, Don Lemon, you know, from CNN, he said this. This is an exact quote from from October 30th, 2018. Don Lemon said this. We have to stop demonizing people and realize that the number one threat in this country is white men. (laughs) <laughs> well, didn't he just, uh, white men are people, didn't he just demonize people? I mean, in the same breath, that is just unbelievable. Well, we told you that uh, Joe Biden uh, was over in Bi- uh, in uh, Ireland, right? And he's still over there. China is flying bombers in, and jets into Taiwan airspace. They're floating ships in Taiwan waters. Xi is shaking Macron's hand. Um, France is doing as trading liquid natural gas in the yuan uh, currency, and Biden has to rush to Northern Ireland to say this. This is what he had to say. Here, Northern Ireland, programs like young, young, young entrepreneur, young enterprise, Northern Ireland. Here, Northern Ireland. <laughs> Whatever that was, I have no idea. The guy is just completely like lost. Now there was an interview here. Ex-White House stenographer, uh, this is Mike McCormick. He was on, he was a former White House stenographer under Obama. Let's take a listen to this uh, sound clip. Mike McCormick worked for Joe Biden as a White House stenographer, and Mike joins us now. So, Mike, what went down on that trip that you're aware of? Thanks for having me on, Jesse. Well, what happened on that trip was Joe Biden was in the front of the plane, my job as a White House stenographer was to be in the back of the plane in the press cabin. And if 
a white, if Joe or a senior administration official came back and did a briefing, and then I would record it and make a transcript. Well, that's exactly what happened. That senior administration official was Jake Sullivan, who's now our national security advisor. So I didn't see anything wrong with it at the time. Years go by. I've left the White House. I'm writing books, and I get a hold of the Hunter Biden laptop from Marco Polo. Uh, they're a nonprofit, an anti-corruption nonprofit. About a year and a half ago, I started writing a substack based on what I find. And then I go back over what I knew happened when I was working for Joe. I found the transcript that I wrote about that briefing. That's when Jake Sullivan starts talking about fracking. And because of what I'd read in the laptop and reported in my Substack previously, I'm like, wait a minute. Joe Biden knew Hunter Biden was already on the board on April 18th. Joe Biden knew. He directed Sullivan to go back and talk to the press. This is a conspiracy. This is a crime. This is public corruption. That's what the FBI is supposed to investigate. So I wrote a substack about it in November. Nothing happened. I went to the FBI and filled out their witness tip line. There's a website. You fill out all these tips, uh, these web, web directions. I submitted it. If you lie to the FBI when you're submitting a tip like that, you can go to jail. I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. Joe Biden is lying. Joe Biden is a criminal. That's the bottom line. I don't care if he goes to Timbuktu or Ireland or anywhere. He's a criminal. And I've got the evidence. If they put me in front of the grand jury that's right now seated in Wilmington with Special Prosecutor David Weiss, my testimony becomes the evidence that will put him in jail or will uh, lead to his impeachment, probably lead to his impeachment first. You're, so you're saying that Joe Biden wasn't going to Ukraine to fight corruption. Joe Biden was going to Ukraine to help the natural gas industry. At the time, he knew that his son was on the board of the biggest natural gas business conglomerate in Ukraine. That's exactly right. You know, Hunter Biden signed up for this uh, trip. He signed up to be on Burisma on uh, April 18th, 2014. Well, on April 16th, 2014, what I've seen in the laptop was Hunter put a schedule, uh, something on his daily schedule. I'm meeting Devin and Lucas. Lucas, Devin Archer's son. Devin Archer is a fellow Burisma board member at the WH at 11. That's the White House. Mm. There's photos of, of, of Devin Archer and his son, Lucas, in the White House. They, the cover story was, oh, it's a book report for, our, for my son. He's being nice with Joe Biden. That's not what it was. This was a planning meeting for them to start their uh, kickback scheme with Burisma. And there was a lot more planning that went on ahead of it. All right. So you need to be talking, we assume, to the prosecutor in Delaware, but you haven't heard back from the FBI. Let us know if they contact you. Nothing but <laughs> I will immediately. I, I think they're going to start thinking about it after we talk tonight, Jesse. I think this is a big help in getting the public attention on their lack of inactivity. I mean, right now, the FBI's had this laptop for three years. I've had it for one and a half years. I'm out investigating the FBI. That's not something they should be proud of. Yeah, well, I don't think they're actually doing an investigation at all. I think they're doing a cover-up, and that's... 
Yeah, that's exactly right. But you know what's interesting is you got to understand this. Put your head here, okay, folks? Biden didn't think Trump was going to win at the time that this was going down. He was vice president. He didn't believe. He thought that Hillary would win. So he was basically realizing that our country was going to go to electric vehicles and go green. So he was working out deals with China and working out cobalt mining and stuff like that. Um, and he was working all, all those deals. And and um, and he had to know that this was going to be his golden parachute because fracking was going to be put out of business under the Hillary Clinton administration. Fracking was ramped up uh, because of Trump. So they had to change their trajectory when you think about it. So he's thinking that Hillary Clinton is going to go green for the next four to eight years. And this is prior to 2016. And that's what was going down. And he was cinching up a um, natural gas uh, opportunity for fracking who would have looked at him as the savior to save their business against a a repressive Hillary Clinton government. So they would have bit hook, line, and sinker, and they would have been the heroes for the fracking industry who would have been then fracking in Ukraine because they would have been kicked out of the United States fracking, kicked out of Pennsylvania fracking, stuff like that. So think about it from that particular lens. And then think about this right here. Again, this is a clip that we played, but this is why... Uh, there was a pivot uh, where they went with uh, electric vehicles. And again, electric vehicles don't have a future. People don't want the electric vehicle. Uh, But I rise to speak in support of HRES 1243. This resolution provides Congress with necessary information to review and address apparent conflicts of interest regarding President Joe Biden and members of his family. Without the ability to review documents held by the United States Treasury, such as suspicious activity reports, information which was previously routinely provided to Congress until the Biden administration, without the ability to review these documents, we cannot carry out proper congressional oversight. Hunter Biden's Chinese business deals are just one concern. In 2012, as Joe Biden and Barack Obama ran for re-election, Hunter and his longtime business partner, Devin Archer, now sentenced for fraudulent activities, reportedly entered talks with a Jonathan Lee, a Chinese national who ran Bohai Capital. The group founded private equity fund Bohai Harvest RST-BHR, and BHR is Biden, Hunter, Robert. On December the 16th, 2013, 11 days after Vice President Biden flew to Beijing to meet with President Xi Jinping, Hunter told the New Yorker he had explicitly requested to join Vice President Biden, his father, on the trip and arranged for Lee to meet his father. The New York Times reported that Hunter, Archer, and Christopher Heinz served on the board and controlled 30% of BHR. The rest of the company is owned and or controlled by Chinese investors that include the Bank of China, according to records filed with Chinese regulators. In 2016, BHR 
through funds that came entirely from Chinese state-backed companies, contributed over a billion dollars to the buyout of Arizona-based Freeport McMoran for the purchase of a cobalt copper mine and copper mine in the Democratic Republic of Congo when my good friend Mr. Donalds talked about cobalt. Hunter Biden stood to gain millions on the deal. The firm also purchased a stake in China's contemporary Amperics Technology Company, the world's biggest maker of batteries for electric vehicles. Committee Republicans have already written to the Transportation Secretary about our concerns that due to the Biden administration's policies, American jobs are suffering. For example, Ford Motor Company recently announced that it will cut 8,000 more American jobs. As Republicans highlighted in our January letter to the National Archivist, the American people deserve answers on the extent of Hunter Biden's business dealings, both domestic and abroad, and whether, or really how much, then President, excuse me, then Vice President Joe Biden was aware of the extent to which his son was trading on President Biden's name. Well, we know that he was. He had 80 separate meetings, 80 plus meetings with Hunter Biden's business partners. That's just been released. Now let's take a listen to Byron Douglas. The purpose of the HRES is quite Byron simple, Donalds. to get information from the president with respect to the business dealings of his son. Now, the president has told us time and time again, frankly, it's a lie, but the president has told us time and time again that he has no idea what his son is actually doing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we all know that is the dumbest thing we've all heard. I have three sons. I've been away from my sons for 10 days, but trust me, I know exactly what they're doing. It doesn't take me long to pick up a phone and ask or to find out. The president knows what his son is engaged in. What his son is primarily being engaged in is a, is a mineral called cobalt. Let's educate the committee on cobalt. Cobalt is a mineral, a metal that is essential in the manufacturing of electric vehicles. Cobalt is one of the most important components of electric car batteries, solar panels, and other renewable energy sources. A Tesla long-range vehicle requires 10 pounds of cobalt, more than 400 times the amount of cobalt needed in a cell phone. Two-thirds of the world's cobalt production comes from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Hunter Biden has been heavily involved in the 2016 sale of a cobalt mine in the Democratic Republic of the Congo to a company that is a Chinese company. He was very involved. The New York Times has reported on his level of involvement. So do you mean to tell me that Joe Biden, who was then was a former vice president of the United States, then candidate for the presidency of the United States, now president of the United States, had no idea that his son was engaged in the sale of a cobalt mine to a Chinese company at the same time when the centerpiece of Joe Biden's energy policy is electric cars in the United States and more green technology? I mean, come on, folks. That is just crazy. You can sit here and try to lecture us about the leaks at Mar-a-Lago, which, by the way, let me also say. So, you know, it gets into that. But here's the thing. It's almost a futile effort to combat the electric vehicle push because it's being subsidized by the Biden administration. And uh, the carbon combustible engines are being penalized by the Biden administration. So it's, you know, they're basically... Uh, it's like censorship. They just want a one-sided argument. 
It's in capitalism. A liberal gets a hold of capitalism, company out of business, and they create the monopoly for themselves, and they hoard all the profits. That's what they're doing with this electrical vehicle thing. So they've all gotten in early, and electric vehicles would have never, ever competed at all with combustible engines, if, if not for the fact that they shut down oil pipelines, uh, frozen leases for uh, drilling of oil, uh, depleted our strategic national reserve, uh, and uh, basically uh, put a war on oil, right? And penalize and then mandate, you know, that 2030, you're going to have all electric cars. We don't even have an electrical grid. The power is going to go off on that. And we have a segment that we wanted to play today. We're not going to, we're going to play it maybe tomorrow, um, is basically all the pitfalls and shortcomings of electric vehicles that people aren't talking about. But what we need to also understand is that there are other solutions. I have a whole presentation piece I'm going to put together. Uh, about Toyota's new technology. It's a hydrogen-based vehicle. So hydrogen. Toyota, this new engine will destroy the entire EV industry. So before you go out and you buy an electric vehicle, look into Toyota's hydrogen technology. It's better. And it goes longer distances. It's cheaper. And the exhaust is water. And it doesn't cost as much to the environment to produce and manufacture as cobalt is. Because uh, cobalt's a very dirty business. So when you think about it, um, it's not just the um, you know combustible engine uh, alt- as an alternative to electric vehicles. But it's also hydrogen vehicles, solar panel vehicles, and a whole host of other things. But the one that's most promising is Toyota's new technology that they've just come out with. And I have a an eight-minute display uh, presentation on that that I wanted to share with the audience, and I will share that at some point. Because it it before you go and you buy into this electric vehicle mistake, which I believe it is, think about the alternative uh, on how you spend your cash. and uh, And also think about when you do invest in electric cars, you're really investing in globalism. You're really investing in slave labor. You're really investing in the Biden crime family. And that's really the biggest problem of all and why I would never buy an electric vehicle uh, so long as the Bidens are not in jail. And that concludes the rest of the story there. So, um, by the way, we're out of time. This You've been listening to The Scott Adams Show. Be sure to check out uh, the sponsor of this show, uh, Shenyon, shenyon.com. Check them out. Um, they have a, an event coming up in Philadelphia as well as in Baltimore. I'm going to be at the Baltimore show uh, because I live in D.C. Um, also, check out magapack.org, magapack.org, to find out how we're advancing America First policies to make America great again. And we're not running those DeSantis ads. But check out magapack.org. Also, use Red State. Red State as your promo code over at mypillow.com. Red State. And with that, we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody.